Hello and welcome to the Stress Sessions Mental Health Podcast. You're listening to episode 5 of series 3. I hope you're having a lovely start to the week and are enjoying this lovely weather for once. Let's face it, we're in the UK and it's not going to last for long, is it? This week, I'm speaking to comedian and television presenter Matt Richardson. I've said this a few times across the 30-ish episodes that I've recorded since I started doing this, but I think this was one of my favourites. No offence to any of my other guests, you've all been fantastic and I've loved having you on, but this one just felt so natural and I really felt I could really be myself, chatting one-on-one with someone else that suffers from a mental illness. Matt lives with OCD, a mental illness that I'm not overly familiar with, so this podcast and his openness really helped me to understand what it's like to be in his shoes, how he copes with it, and most importantly, we're able to have a really honest chat. I honestly loved it, so thanks to Matt for being such a brilliant guest. It's Bank Holiday Monday today, so I won't keep rambling on for the intro for too long. I hope you'll listen to this while you're sitting in the sun, maybe having a barbecue, but remember that sun cream because I didn't on my run yesterday and I'm a little bit burnt today. I never learn. So here's the stress sessions with comedian Matt Richardson. Thank you for listening. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Yeah, really good, thanks. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. To kick things off, what is the one song that puts you in a really happy, positive mood? You know, um, this year, I think it has been, um, you know, Think About Things, the Icelandic the Icelandic Eurovision entry by what they called like Daddy Foyer or whatever. That is the, uh, that is the one for me. It's so catchy and so good. And um, we have probably listened to it in our, in our house like every single day of the pandemic thus far, which is a year. So, and that manages to always put me in a pretty good mood. So I would pick that one. That's a really good shout. I like that. That's, that's different to what other people have said as well. So it's, it's out of the box. So I love Great. it. Great. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> so, for people listening that might not know who you are, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will do, but can you tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, anything um, you want to yeah. say? Uh, I am, I'm Matt Richardson. I'm a comedian and like presenter, I suppose. Um, I have done loads of bits over the years. Like I've just been, I've just done Dancing on Ice. Like I was like a blink and you'll miss it in one week, out the same week, uh, contestant on Dancing on Ice um, during when they needed backups. Um, I used to do a radio show on Virgin. I used to do The Extra Factor, like Big Brother's Bit on the side, um, loads of stand-up. And like I'm on, I'm basically, if there's something on ITV2 that you go, oh, I don't think this is very good, I've been on it. That's, that's basically my career. Like things that, things that you kind of go, oh yeah, look, it's a load of Towies and a comedian. I'm always the comedian. That's pretty much where I live. Before we kind of jump into the whole mental health thing, is there anything yes. in particular that kind of makes you particularly anxious? Because I know that as a comedian, you're or, and a presenter as well. You're in you're in front of thousands, if not millions, of people. So I personally would find that horrendous. Is there anything that you find anxious? So you know, like this is going to sound weird to you, um, but um, when I'm in front of people, 
it doesn't bother me because it means that I am working. And for me, work makes me more anxious than anything else because I'm self-employed. Um, uh, it's very like cutthroat. It's kind of like if you're not getting booked, like you're stressed about not getting booked for things. Um, so what makes me anxious is when I haven't been in front of loads of people for a while because it means I'm not working. <laughs> so it's the opposite, really. When I'm at home, I'm really anxious because I'm like, I should be doing something. I should be out there like gigging or like being productive in some way rather than just chilling out. I'm a very, very kind of like anxious. I'm a real worrier. I'm, I, I'm, I'm an absolute, you know what? In hindsight, it's not a great job choice for me because it's, um, it's basically all anxiety and I've already got that. So it's, it's yeah, I live, I live my life at sort of an eight out of 10 of ang- uh, anxiousness constantly, pretty much. I, I can resonate with you there because I think that's basically my life as well. But I think it's, a, it's that's kind of a theme with, I mean, don't get me wrong with comedians because I think a lot of comedians suffer from mental illness and it's yeah. kind of, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why, but yeah, I've, I, so on, on series two, I spoke to Mark Watson and Baron Vaughan, who's a US comedian. Yeah. And they basically live their life based on their, I guess, mental illness and kind of reacting to different things. So yeah, it's... pretty much. I think, I think the only laid back comedian in the country is Rob Beckett, who is very chill I remember years ago, because I started out at the same time as Rob. And um, I remember once we had the same agent and we were kind of like doing bits of like little bits of TV and like, say, a couple of like, like we do a gig for 200 pounds. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe they've booked us. And I remember being at a gig once, distinctly remember this, and Rob probably wouldn't. But we were at this gig and I was like, I can't believe they've booked us. And Rob Beckett went, of course they've booked me. Like, I'm Rob Beckett. I'm brilliant. And I was like, I would love to have that level of chill about what I do. Like, he's like, I'm good. I deserve to be booked. Great. He's the only comedian I could think of that lives his life with a bit of confidence and a bit of mellowness. Otherwise, we're all a nightmare. He, he seems like one of those people as well that he he's just like he is the whole time. He doesn't seem like he has a switch on yeah. and off button. No, he's like he, that he's, permanently. Rob Beckett's Rob Beckett. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I wouldn't. I don't claim to know Rob amazingly well, but I've known him for a very long time, and that is just that is the product like it's the same on and off stage whereas there's a lot of comedians where it's well it's it's your act isn't it everyone calls you what's your act and you're like that is whereas I think I don't know most people like I think I'm pretty similar on and off stage Mm. like I'm not that different I'm probably a bit more I'm a bit more manic on stage probably but that's just how I feel inside all the time I'm just better at keeping it in (laughs) and you suffer from OCD which you've spoken about quite openly in the past can you tell me a little bit about that particular illness and what it's like to live with? Yeah, so OCD is um, the big. The thing about OCD is like it's like lots of these things where everyone's experience of it is different. Like you know, I know people with OCD who are obsessive cleaners or obsessive self cleaners. I don't have any of that. All my OCD is cognitive, so it's um, it's all within. So and it's it it will latch on to the maddest thing. So for example, I once watched um, a show about cancer and I became obsessed with the fact that I had cancer and I'd go to the doctors and they'd give me the tests and then that wouldn't be good enough for this obsessiveness and I would sort of be constantly like the way I'd sit I'd be like oh am I sitting weird because I've because of because I have cancer and like I would analyze everything I did 
and also like and it's latched onto loads of different things before like i remember i had about six months where i thought i might be a serial killer like which is absolutely wild but um it's that thing of you go is this how a serial like, maybe i maybe i want to kill people but like i'm holding back and like you kind of just analyze yourself and then i got to the point where because i'm so meta and amazing i um became obsessed with my obsessions so i used to time uh, between obsessive thoughts in my head like I'd be sat in the car and I'd go right okay and then I'd try not to think about it and I'd look and go okay so that was 90 seconds between thoughts and I would make a note of them and keep a record of all my obsessive thoughts so it was what I would say about it is um it was it, I mean it is but I mean I take uh medication for it which is uh really great because I don't obsess at all but I'm also not interested in sex uh it's a really fun medication um <laughs> it's what I would say about it is it's fucking tiring more than anything else. Like it was just exhausting and I, I didn't get it treated for years. And I just kind of thought, well, this is how I'm going to live my life now. I'm just get, this is my brain. And like, this is, I remember it triggering like when I was about 18 and just being like, okay, well, this is it now. This is how I'm going to live forever. And you, it's so exhausting. And um, you would eventually just be like, well, the, the ways out of this are, the, way, the only way out of this is death. And I wouldn't say that I've ever been suicidal, but I have gone, well, that's, that is the logical solution to this if I ever want to get rid of it, which is ridiculous, you know, because I, I didn't think about telling the doctor about it because people didn't really talk about, you know, people would talk about depression and things, mm. but not about other mental health things. And this is 12, 12 years ago, I guess. Uh, but it took me two or three years to get it looked at. Um, so yeah, like, and now... I, I'm much better at spotting it. So like, for example, I'll be on the medication for a while and then like it will be fine for a bit when I come off it. And then I will notice the symptoms coming back and I'll go straight back onto medication. I won't like, I won't mess around like I did before and go, oh, it'll be fine in a month. And then it gets to a month and you go, it'll be fine in another month. I just sort mm. of very quickly go, oh yeah, this isn't great. And also, um, you know, like I, I my girlfriend's very good at noticing it and being like you need to go and see the doctor you're being a bit erratic and a bit all over the place and sort of like not very happy so yeah it's 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 not a big thing for me anymore because i, I manage it but and I, you know i take medication for it and you know i've had therapy and all that kind of stuff so i wouldn't say it factors into my life as long as i take that little thing in the morning and that really helps me which i understand as well coming on here and being like medication's amazing isn't for everybody but it's really yeah. really helped me and is there any, has there been any kind of other particular coping techniques that you use to kind of help your mental well-being? So, for instance, like I, I'll read a book. Is there anything that you do in particular? Yeah, you know what? When it's really bad, I can't read a book. So um, I know it's getting bad because I really like reading. And mm. um, when it's really bad, um, I cannot stop it to read a book. So it becomes impossible to do anything like that to distract yourself or even watching television, like everything that comes on the screen and is being talked about will trigger something and your brain will make a connection to whatever it is you're obsessing about at the moment. Um, so I found the best thing when I first started, the reason I think I got into stand up and really like threw myself into it and like very quickly as a new comic was gigging five nights a week is because on stage was the only place it wasn't bad because it takes so much well I mean less so these days because we're doing it for so long but at that time it takes so much concentration to do a gig when you're new and you've got no idea what you're doing that I would get off stage and I'd be in the car for an hour driving home and I'd be like oh my god I haven't obsessed since before the gig and that would be for me like 
oh, that was like such a relief and such a reprieve that I would gig more and more because I knew that was my little sweet spot where it would be cured for an hour of the day. Yeah, and I think personally, with with my kind of anxiety depression, when I'm not, yeah. when I'm when I'm preoccupied, it's that's when it's at its best. So because I've got Absolutely. something to concentrate on, it helps so much because I've actually got something to do, something to occupy my mind. So it is kind of those downtimes when I'm just sitting there on the sofa, either scrolling Absolutely. through social media or watching TV. It's really bad. And, and and you know what? It's one of those awful things where um I think when it's really bad, I'm much quicker to look at my phone. And to go on social media, because when you're watching something on the telly and you're on social media, that kind of overloads your brain a bit. So the anxiety is not happening. But in the long term, social media is probably making it worse. But short term, I find that having a few things like I'm basically I'm just not very good when it's bad. I'm really bad in my own company. And um, I spend a lot of time alone doing my job. Like you just you just do being a comedian. You're in the car alone all the time. And I used to dread Sit, I used to dread getting into the car because I'd be like, well, there's nothing in here to distract me. This is it now for the next for the next three hours. It's just me and myself. And that's the worst thing in the world. So I totally agree. Like when you've got things going on or, you know, something's happening that you can totally throw yourself into. It's way better. And you kind of mentioned social media there. How yes. do you kind of as, as somebody with a mental illness, do you kind of limit your social media usage and have you actively made an effort to do that? Yeah, so I look, I don't really do Twitter anymore. Like I do it for work begrudgingly, but like I used to like Twitter and I thought it was really good and I'd like interact with people on there and all that. And I just don't bother now because I find it really stressful and quite overwhelming. Um, see, things like Instagram, like I do like Instagram, but I find it hard, br- brutally, like, like my biggest anxiety inducer is my work like because I'm not at a level where I'm not set for life right like I have to work all the time to make money like it's it's just the way it is and when I can see that when I'm having like a quiet patch which happens um and you see what other people are doing and you you kind of start to worry about well they're doing that why aren't I doing that oh god they're writing a new sitcom for themselves like and I find that really hard so for example this weekend I caught myself last week, like being a bit too social media-y. So I've just deleted all the apps off my phone. And then I just have a weekend where I've not even looked at Instagram or um, any of it because it's just been like, and it's been really nice. And then I'll put it back probably tomorrow because I, I know I've got some work things I have to like, I've got a, you know, like you, I have a podcast and like, you need to post about it and things like that. So I'll, I'll put it back on to post and like do a few replies to people and then I'll delete it again. So I, I, up, I delete and download the app like two or three times a week because I find if it's there, I don't have the self-control to not look at it. I used to do that. I used to download like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, delete yeah, them yeah, when yeah. I thought I'm going to come off of them. But I can't do that anymore because I can't remember the passwords. So I literally oh, really? just have to... <laughs> yeah. I just delete the apps and like I've got the face recognition ignition thing for the passwords Uh, um, okay but something like for example i i don't have facebook anymore like i've not had facebook for 18 months nearly two years um Uh, i was in edinburgh i was in edinburgh and i fucking hate the edinburgh fringe like i've never enjoyed it i find it really stressful i find it really hard like and also because of the kind of tv i do and the kind of audience i have like i don't sell loads of tickets up there because the people who buy tickets up there watch bbc2 and listen to radio 4 uh the uh, the big majority of them. So like I would go up and like would sell less tickets than I would on tour because it like I don't have the right audience there. Um, so it'd be miserable. And I found the last time I was up there in 2019, I was sat 
in my flat where I was living alone, just looking through Facebook for hours. And I was like, this isn't healthy at all. Um, so I just deleted it. And I've never missed it once, ever. I thought I'd delete it and really struggle. I thought I'd struggle because you could book work things through there because people are sort of offer gigs and stuff. But it's never been, it's never even been a thing. I still talk to the same people I talked to before. It's not affected my life at all. And it was actually like a massive burden off my shoulders, I have to say, Facebook. It's really helped that, my mental health not having it. I think I need to do that because Facebook's one of those ones where it's, it's outdated now as well. So I think that you don't use it as much, but it's got a storage of your life on there where like you've got all your photos yeah. from 10 years ago when you're at uni and stuff like that. And it's just, I think it's pointless now, but I hate, I mean, back then I was a bit like, oh, it's fine that everybody can see my stuff and w- what I'm doing. But now I'm just like, people can see what I used to look like. People can see what I used to do. Yeah, like, it's, it, yeah. It isn't a good thing to have you. You're absolutely right. Like, you know, I think, look, there's, I, I would have, I slept soundly going, there's nothing on here that is like damaging to me. Like if I wanted to go and apply for a job or if someone was to go through and try, if say I was on a massive show and someone was to go through and try and sell my old statuses, but they were just a bit cringy and I'm not that person anymore. And I think because of the internet, there's this whole thing now, isn't there about like, you know, um, quote unquote cancel culture and it's like people can change and you're like well yeah because like I think everyone would look at their Facebook statuses from 10 years ago and they shouldn't be cancelled for them because anyone would look at them going oh my god who's that asshole even if you weren't saying anything offensive because you're just like oh he's feeling a bit he's feeling a bit um a bit hungry right now ha 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 and you're like oh why did I think why was I a person that thought that was a thing that belonged on the internet so getting rid of it yeah mate it was like it was like unchaining um, an albatross from my neck, like all those photos. Like, and also they're still out there because a lot of them were other people's uploads, but like, mm. it's, n- it's not, it's no skin off my nose. I don't really care anymore. It's really, it's really worth it. Also, Facebook is just for, for like boomers to be racist on now, isn't it? Like that's pretty much yeah, all that yeah. happens there. And I couldn't hack the politics. Like I had an uncle who posted something really unsavory. So I unfriended him because I was like, I don't want to see this shit anymore. I don't need this in my life. And within an hour, my mum had called me being like, why have you unfriended blah, blah. And I was like, because he's a fucking racist, mum. Because he said something really offensive that I found found really disgusting. And I thought, I don't want to see this anymore. I don't need that kind of venom in my life. And she went, well, but now he's really upset and you've got to refriend him. So now I just go, well, I don't have Facebook. Because like all my mum's mates had added me, like all these people that like I was kind of connected to, especially because... They were nice and they wanted to support me. So a lot of them would buy tickets to come and see me on tour or would watch you on television. So then you're kind of like obligated to be like, oh yeah, I'll accept their friend request because my mum said they voted for me on Dancing on Ice. Um, Whereas now I'm just like, well, I'm not on there. So you just got to like, there's no, I don't have that kind of like give and take and that sort of bartering with, with online clout. I think you're right though. The tipping point for me personally was when my mum and dad got Facebook. As soon as that happened, I was a bit like, nope, I'm off. I'm done. I'm done with this. Yeah. I think, you know, they always talk about like the fact that like misinformation spreads on Facebook and things. It's because not that many young people use it. So I think like there's this kind of like, it's now for the generation, well, probably two generations above you and me, right? It's for like people in their 40s, well, not even in their 40s, people in their 50s really and Mm. beyond to connect it's the new friends reunited so i don't really know i don't really know what it had for me anymore apart from like there was an umming, umming and ahhing about well i feel attached to all these old photos maybe but even then like i wasn't looking at them 
like they were just sat there like i was sort of like i liked yeah. the idea of them but it wasn't like i was looking through them all the time kind of reminiscing so i haven't missed it it's been and it has been really good and it freed up a shitload of time for me basically where i just now can do something productive or nothing productive but isn't negative in that in that time the only thing i really use on social media well the only thing i use is instagram now but that is literally just to promote this podcast i really like like instagram i really i do enjoy instagram because people post on there when they're doing nice things so like if there's like i don't follow loads of worky people on there i don't follow other comedians most of the people i follow on instagram are people i'm friends with Um, and i'm just like oh that's nice that they're off on holiday like those things don't bother me. They don't make me feel insecure. It's like people going like, I'm doing live at the Apollo. And I'm like, oh my God, oh, I wish I was doing that. Um, so I quite, I quite like Instagram. I, I have to be honest. Like Instagram is my preference of all of them. But even then, like yeah. I had to take a break from it. Yeah, see, the, the only thing that I have a bit of beef over on Instagram is probably just the people exaggerating their great lives. So you'll go on there and it will just literally be, oh, I'm doing this amazing thing. And like, yeah. for, for instance, during lockdown, people were like, oh, I, I'm doing a workout and I look great. And it's just a bit like, oh, Yeah, I, you know what? I totally <laughs> agree with that. And it does make you like, and so I think Instagram for me is basically when I'm in a really good place, none of that bothers me. So like when I'm kind of like, yeah, I've done like, I'm kind of like in a good groove with my life. Like say I'm like exercising lots. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm being like vaguely productive. Instagram for me is not good when I'm not feeling great. Like it's very, it, uh, for me, it's very like I have to do it in moderation. And then, and I kind of, st- I, only recently, I'd say the last few months have I started to go, that's enough Instagram for me for the week. And then I delete the app. But like you said, like I need to, like for me, it's a work tool. I want people to mm. buy stuff and I want people to buy tickets and listen to things I do. So I do go on it and do all that kind of stuff. If, uh, do, you have a, do you have any pets, by the way? Yeah, I've got a cat. Yeah. Right. If you've got a cat, my secret to enjoying Instagram, set up a cat account. My cat has an Instagram account and all, all he follows, all he follows is other cats. So when you, and when you go onto Instagram as your cat, all it is, is other cats commenting on your cat. Like it's people pretending to be their cats. And I find that really wholesome and lovely. So like we put a photo, I put a photo up and I'm like, oh, I'm having a nice day chilling out in the sun today. And all it is is other people going, oh, my favorite spots by the window. And it's grown ass people like me sat there. Pretend, and I find that really lovely. And that makes me feel good about Instagram when people are just pretending to be their pets. Because we set up one, because we basically we got a cat called Phil. He's a little black cat. He's got, yeah, great. Well, he used to have two, he used to have two fangs. So he looks like a little vampire cat. Yeah. He went to the vets about, I don't know, a year ago now. And they removed one of his fangs without asking us. And we were like, oh no. Because you know, you've got those random looking cats that just go viral, like they've got the same sort of features. We yeah. were like, imagine if he had gone viral, his fang would have been removed. And we couldn't really post any good pictures of him anymore because he's surely, got one surely, like, um, but you know what people love and what I love is cats that are a bit special like that have got something yeah, wrong with yeah. them like i follow about eight million cats that have got like two legs so you should just your instagram should just be one fang phil and then you would be like the cat with one fang and like all the photos would be like oh look at my little fang but not the other one yeah i think look people love that shit i think that's what you should go for <laughs> i might try it just to test the waters you, yeah so- yeah yeah but that for me is like it's 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 transient enough and light enough and i don't know any of the cats and they're fucking cats so it doesn't really matter and and then then i really like that makes me really happy on instagram 
you co-presented the X Factor with Caroline Flack, um, who yeah. sadly passed away last year. Yeah. I think that personally, for me, um, Caroline's passing sent kind of shockwaves through the nation because it kind of showed that celebrities were human, they're normal people hurt in the same ways. They've got the same yeah, emotions. Mate. What do you kind of think about that whole situation? You, you know what? I think it's this really weird thing where people people really connected to it. And I think with Caroline as well, people people really loved her. Like people thought she was amazing. Mm. And like, she was very, I think the reason it was like that is Caroline felt very accessible. So she was very normal. And I think, look, and like, I think for a lot of girls, like she wasn't kind of like six foot tall and unobtainable. Like she was, she was five foot two and she was like a girl you knew. That was what that was Caroline's entire appeal was I know one of her. And I think that's what resonated with people when she was alive. And when she died, I think people were like, they felt like they knew her. So it was a real, it was a real shock. And if I'm honest, like I I still like, so obviously it was it was the anniversary of it last week. And I'm still like, oh, oh fuck, yeah, Caroline, Caroline's not here anymore. And like I forget about it mm. because it feels so alien and so weird. But yeah, I think I think you agree it really did send a lot of shockwaves uh through the nation. And also she appeared to have it all. That was another thing. Like she had the job in television. She had like, you know, this life that everyone wanted. Like she'd been out with loads of amazing people. And like, it turns out like not all of that is, is enough sometimes. So I think that's why people were shocked as well. And I think that it was kind of like a, like you said, it's kind of on social media, it kind of came across that, oh, everything's absolutely fine. Um, Yeah, of course. Because I think, I think people do just post, like like you said with Instagram, people just post positive stuff on on social media. Yeah, because... absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Look, I think look, I think anytime anyone um uh commits suicide, like it's it's never I've never read an article about someone committing suicide and everyone goes, Yeah, yeah, I expected that. Everyone is always shocked for everyone, aren't they? Like, you know, like I've mm. had um, you know, which is an awful thing, but I've had like a few friends commit suicide over the years. Like it is horribly common. And every single time I'm like, fucking hell, really? Them? Like, and the people that I would, you know, I don't know anyone that I would be not shocked about. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's that weird thing, isn't it? I think, and and people knew, she was really famous here. So like people, people felt like they had an ownership. Everyone watched that show. Everyone had seen her life for years. So I think that's why it was a shock because she was present all the time. And I mean, this this is probably a question that nobody can answer, but do you think that maybe even in Caroline's instance, but just generally people who, who take their own lives, do you think that, that it, it can be prevented or do you think that it's it's kind of like... I mean, if I, if I could answer that, I would be um, a hero of life, wouldn't I? I don't think I've got an answer for that because people do it for different reasons don't they i think maybe there are some people out there where it's written in the stars that that is going to be they're on that path of some you know like um i think there are a lot of people who grow up troubled like you know i i've i've come across people in my life who were troubled from childhood and then you meet other people who the turnaround of it is so rapid you don't even know where it's come from for example you know i imagine there's lots of people where three months ago they were fine and then but things have gotten so bad so quickly so i don't i don't know really maybe 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 there are cases where you can but i that is an existential question i'm not clever enough to answer i'm afraid <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's one of those isn't it like because it's just like you kind of think 
uh, what what if what if somebody would have reached yeah, out man. to and her like, and you know what? Said... Like, and you know what? As someone that was, was close to her, and like Caroline and I were really good mates, like for a very long time, and then we'd sort of like. You know, I hadn't spoken to her in a little while, like a, which was which was common. You know, like a lot of friendships, like mm. you kind of speak and you see each other loads, and then you don't see each other for a bit, and you kind of think, well, maybe if like I'd sort of been around a bit more during that period, it, something would have been. And you get you go over all that stuff, but ultimately, like, it's 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 futile, isn't it, to think like that? And you end up just torturing yourself. So I think, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, because it's it's kind of a bit like you always go back to what you could have done and what you could have said. And it's, it's a bit like, you can't. But I think if, if you... it's human nature to be like that though, isn't it? Like I, I am terrible for thinking like that in every aspect of my life. Like, well, if so, I'd have done, yeah. even at the moment, like I was thinking like, look at the moment, like I haven't worked for a year, like proper, like as I not, like I've worked, but not as I normally would. Like I've done, bit, I've basically been part-time. Right. And I'm thinking, well, if five years ago I did that, I did this one job and I could have put all that money away rather than going on holiday, like I'd be less stressed now. And like, I, I shoulda, woulda, coulda about everything in my life. Like I'm a big, like, what if I'd have done that seven years ago and then my life would have led that way and this way and that, like I do that all the time. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm kind of like predisposed to do it. So yeah, but you, you just can't, it would, it tortures people that when people die and they kind of wonder what else they could have done or what more they could have said or what less they could have said. And I just think it's, you know, life is too short to torture yourself when there's enough going on. And I guess part of kind of Caroline's death was kind of like the trolling that she got on social media as well, bringing back the yeah. whole social media aspects. And I think on the back of her death, the Be Kind campaign that followed kind of really raised the profile of mental illness. It shone, shone a light on kind of cyberbullying, trolling, the consequences, obviously. Have you seen a particular change in kind of social media or people's like thinking since then? That is a really good question. Um, I basically, I just, I used to, I used to get loads of horrible shit, especially when I was working on Big Brother's bit on the side. Um, I would say seventy-five percent of the things sent to me when I was on that show were negative. Like it was like when I was doing, I used to do stand-up on it a couple of times a week, so I'd do like a stand-up set about what's going on in the house, and the audience hated me and they let me know and like people would get in touch being like like really like and ultimately all i'm doing is three minutes of jokes that's it like i'm standing on stage going oh well did you see what scott said about uh about pies oh, oh well you know uh he only thinks that about pies because he bloody fancies them like stupid shit like that like really inconsequential stuff and i also um was very cautious to never be nasty on there. Like I didn't want to be seen as like a, an asshole. So I was trying to kind of keep it like jovial and light. Like I was never saying things that I wouldn't say to the person's face if they were in the studio, for example. And people were really cruel, like really, really cruel to me. Like it really bothered me and it really upset me. And whereas ultimately now, like I, I've, I've been in TV since I was 22. And I think probably as I've gotten older, I've just got a much thicker skin about it all. I ultimately don't really care. Um, and also, like, they, like, the, the, I mean, and this is, like, going to sound like an arrogant thing. They're sat at home watching me have a better job than them. So, ultimately, like, I'm doing something they are sat there thinking they could do, but ultimately, they fucking couldn't. 
like Keith Lemon once gave me a really good bit of advice when this was all happening. Like I kind of worked with him quite a lot and he went, they couldn't do your job for a day, but you could probably do theirs. That's the way to look at it. So they're criticizing you, but like they couldn't do it. So fuck them. And ever since then, I've been much more like, I couldn't give less of a shit what people say about me online. Um, and I do think it's kind of like, so for example, like when I was doing dark, when I was on dancing on ice recently, I only got nice things said about me. Like people were lovely. Like I didn't see a single horrible thing, but also people thought that I was treated bad. People thought it wasn't fair that I had gone in the same week and got voted out when I'd gone in late to kind of like be a replacement. So people were kind of in my corner anyway. And also like people didn't think what Christopher Dean said to me was fair. So like they were, being nice about me because they thought I was being hard done by. If none of that happened and they thought it was all fair, maybe they would have called me an arsehole, but there were bigger fish to fry. <laughs> so I don't really know. Like, I think, I think people are still nasty online. I think because I've removed myself from, I've basically removed myself from like being on Twitter all the time and stuff. So I just don't really see it. The problem is though, my mum and dad look at it all. When I'm on something, they obsessively look being like, oh, what do people think about him? Mm-hmm. And they get really upset by it. And like, they'll call me being like, well, this person said this. And I'm like, mum, I couldn't give a shit. Like they are, they're, they're miserable. That's why they're being horrible to me. All I'm doing is making it like I'm making a bit of telly. Like I'm not in politics. I'm not doing anything that kind of makes the world different. I'm going on, I'm going on television and probably talking about my penis. So like the fact that makes them angry means that they have other issues. This is the thing. I think most of the time it is just jealousy. It's jealous of you, the life yeah. you have, what you're doing. And, like, I, I, I am not, like, I am not by any means, like, at the top of my game or kind of, like, a massive name. Like, I am a jobbing comedian who is on television a fair bit, right? That's where I'd put myself. Like, I'm a working, I'm, I'm working in it all, but, like, I'm not, like, you know, like, um, Jimmy Carr or Michael McIntyre where someone's, like, at that pinnacle. So, like, I think people are horrible to you because you seem, you're kind of, like, the level I am at is obtainable. Like I'm on ITV2, I'm on E4, like occasionally I'm on a big channel, but not very often. And I'm kind of like doing gigs on tour to like a hundred people, 150 people, right? People go, oh yeah, I could fucking do that easy. Whereas people don't, aren't so horrible about the massive names because they're like, well, like they're on this pedestal. So I think that's why people at my level get it. But also like, yeah, I just, I just think it is, it's more about them than it is about me. And also I find that, um, loads of also's um people get really upset when they're horrible about you and you reply saying something not very nice about them which i think proves that they're idiots anyway so um people who get in touch with me and they go i I get loads of people and it's normally blokes about the same age as me who are going i can't believe you get fucking paid to be funny and i reply back going handsomely mate i make more money than you ever will being funny so fuck you and they all go they all get really upset the fact that i've gone fuck off basically and the Mm. fact that they get upset rather than going well I was a bell end to him and he was a bell end to me like fair enough they're all like well you can't I've had people go you can't say that to me and I'm like and in what world do you think you can say that to me then I remember years ago when I was on the extra factor we were doing the final and um I was in it was in Wembley at the arena and we were staying in the hotel literally next door right the the Hilton Mm. And it was the first night, the Saturday, and my mum and dad were there. My brother was there. Like, they'd all got tickets for the final. They were all staying in the hotel as well. And on the Saturday, we all go to the bar for a drink. So, like, me, Caroline, Dermot, like, everyone. Like, the whole crew. Like, people I'd been working with for eight months of my life. Right? I'd been there for months. And it had been my first TV job. Like, it had been an amazing experience. And um, I'm walking through the hotel lobby, and a woman stops me. She goes, excuse me, you're, 
you're that guy off Extra Factor, aren't you? And I'm like, oh yeah, I am. And she went, can I have a photo with you? And I was like, of course you can have a photo with me. That's absolutely fine. As I stand next to her and she puts her arm around me, she goes, um, just so you know, um, I do prefer Ollie Murs much more to you though. And I was like, okay, um, cool. Well, and I said to her, I went, okay, that's absolutely fine. Um, but I'm not going to have a photo with you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the bar and enjoy my evening with my family and friends, but I hope you have a good night, right? And I thought that'd be the end of it. I go to the bar. We're sat down, like, having a drink. I'm sat next to my mum and dad, right? And this woman comes back over to me, and she's like, is this your son to my mum? And my mum goes, yeah. And she goes, you should be ashamed of him, the way he just spoke to me. And I was like, no, I, I wasn't disrespectful to you. I was like, you were rude to me. And I mm. took myself out of the situation. And she's, I mean, she's fairly drunk at this point. And she goes, she goes the thing is, though, I pay, I pay my license fee. So you have to listen to what I have to say about you. And I'm like, that isn't how the fucking license fee works. And also, I'm on ITV which isn't part of the license fee. So you're wrong about that. And I was like, it's not like that. You can't just go up to people because you pay your taxes and scream at them. Like, because I mean, even politicians and stuff, like there's ways to do it, right? There's... Mm. And she came up to me, like she was a woman in her fifties. I'm a 22 year old guy, like walking, like minding my own business. And then she's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, you, I, I can't. I was like, it doesn't work both ways. I was like, so for example, I said to her, what do you do for a living? She went, I'm a blood nurse. And I went, okay, I pay my taxes. I prefer real nurses, right? Like that to her. And she lost the fucking plot. She was like, you can't fucking say that to me. And I was like, I've just used your logic to say the same back to you. And she starts to kick off and go mental. And I'm like, fuck you, mate. You're just an idiot, basically. That's, that's the problem here is that you're an idiot, not anything else. I think in situations like that as well, because I mean, I've never experienced that because people don't know who I am, but which, which no, is probably but, a good thing. But, um, but I think in, podcast, in that... man, like people might get in touch being like, I fucking hate your podcast. And you'd be like, <laughs> my solution to people, when people go, I fucking hate you on this. I'm like, there's 800 channels now. Do you know what? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of these wild things where people like, people get really upset about you being on something. And I'm like, watch it next week. I'm not going to be on it then. Or if it's something I'm hosting, I'm like, just, I mean, if you hate me that much, this show's no longer on your list of 3,000 other shows that you can watch right this second. So I don't really buy into it, like the thing of like, I hate you and I can't avoid you. I'm like, I'm very avoidable if you want to avoid me. You never have to watch something with me on again. It's not like I'm hosting a must-see a must see show. Like I'm on stuff that like you could probably miss and it would be fine and mm. no one would bully, bully you for that. So yeah, it's fucking weird, man. Like, with, I mean, you'll know this with the podcast. Like, people will tweet you being like, "I can't bear I, um, great podcast with blah blah," but I can't bear the host. And you're like, "Well, I'm the host. It's my show. Fuck off." The thing, the thing is with me though, I've, and again, with the example you just gave, with with the horrendous woman, whoever she was, nurse, blood nurse, blood nurse lady, blood nurse. <laughs> and look, for the record, I really blood nurse is absolutely fair play. But I was just trying to make a point. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know. I yeah. was, I was, I, I didn't really think that, but sh I was trying to up, I was trying to upset her by that point because she told my mum she should be ashamed of me. Because <laughs> something like that would make me feel horrendous. So my my anxiety would go wild or something like that. Did what was what was the after effect of that experience? You know for you? what? The thing is, because because other people had been there and saw it, it meant mm. that I felt fine about it because like, I was like. My, my my anxiety would kick in for something like that like so people being horrible about me online the ones that really get my anxiety going are the ones where deep down it's true so like quite often i'll do something and not be very happy with the product 
and people will tell me that and that really gets me going and really has me worrying and really hits me deep whereas because other people saw that happen um i i think it may i didn't feel so bad and also and um, yeah i think and it was you know it was like and also like it happened in the midst of what was a very positive experience that weekend the mm. final weekend and like you know, I was like, I mean, I've just done a TV show to two million people on the stage at Wembley Arena. Like, I like in the grand scheme of this weekend, like you are wrong and I am right here. But I find, I do find like it very. My anxiety really kicks in when I have to tell people what I do for a living. That I find really diff. Like, if I'm at a party or something, people are like, "Oh, so what do you do?" And you go, and I get really anxious that people think I want to. I want them to think I'm famous. So when oh, people are okay. like, so very often you'll meet someone and you'll be like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a comedian. And they're like, well, I've never heard of you. And I'm like, oh, I didn't want you to hear from me. You, are, you asked me the question. So I quite often lie about what I do if I'm never going to meet people again, because it just, I find that real, I find talking about my job really anxiety inducing. I think because I'm worried, because I want, basically I'm a comedian, right? And to be a comedian, you have to have this weird little bit inside of you that not everyone has that you want everyone to like you. Every single person you come across, you deep down want them to love you. Like that's just the comedian's wiring. And I think when you go, I'm a comedian, people go, well, you're just talking about your job. You think, I think you're an asshole. And I'm so worried about that happening that I just try not to ever talk about it. What's the most random job that you've made up to somebody at a party so i have one um i tell people if i'm never going to meet them again um quite often i do this for like uber drivers and stuff when they ask what you do for a living um i tell them i work for a plastics company because no one is interested in that so i'm just like <laughs> oh i work there so it's i've got this standard job where i work for a company that make plastic pellets and we sell them on to people that make plastic products but we make the pellets that they use to make say washing up bowls and things that they press into it and people don't people aren't interested in hearing about that so that's the what i always go for do you want to know a really interesting fact? So basically, I, I I went for a job interview at a yeah. plastics company about Did two you? years ago. Yeah, um, to be their marketing manager, and it was it was basically that. It was basically to 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 sell um, these plastic pellets. Really? <laughs> yeah. No way. And I got rejected for the job. So yeah. Well, mate, but I mean, like ultimately, like marketing plastic, <laughs> like do you want things yeah well you've got to have plastic like it's an that, that feels like a fairly straightforward job as well yeah it, I, I was a bit like that was probably <laughs> a a good a good job not to be offered but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you like it's my it's it's the job i tell people when i don't want them to talk any more about my job so i'm glad you're not working there it's been really awkward but i've been like oh, i work for a plastic company oh no I, what's, that's what's what i do for a living actually <laughs> yeah Mate, I mean, look, I, I would just like a job at the moment. So, you know, I'm just, I'd have been jealous these days. <laughs> um, this, is, this is completely going off. This, this is kind of like the last big question, but so Go on. how do you personally think we can beat the stigmas around mental health? Look, I think, I think more has been done um, about mental health stigma in the last two years than the a hundred years before it. And I think, literally the, it's so simple and it sounds so simple that it can't be true we just need to talk about it things like this are really important like um i think the next step though i think there's more to be done so i think the next step and i read something about this the other day i can't even remember where i read it we we're all talking about mental health 
but no one wants to talk about mental illness. And I think that is the next step. Like we're all happy to talk about doing yoga and meditation and trying to mm. like our own mental health, but mental illness is still a huge stigma in all of our communities. Like people who are genuinely un like really quite unwell. And you can see that, like I was on the tube um, before lockdown happened and there was a girl on there who was very unwell. Like she was clear, like she was with her mum, but she was clearly like really unwell. And she's kind of yelling at everyone and all that. And it was making people feel uncomfortable and it's fine. But like, everyone doesn't know what to do because we're not, we don't talk about that enough. So like people aren't going, look, maybe she needs a bit of like compassion or maybe the, the mum may need some help right now, but we're all so scared and the taboo around that, that it's weird, isn't it? Like you don't want to, there's, there seems to be this feeling with people that you don't want to help people because you don't want to catch anything. You don't want to be near it. Like people don't want to be near mental, mental mm. illness. And like, I come from a family with, a, a history of mental illness like I had a schizophrenic grandparent um and like she was really unwell like she was sectioned when I was little like really really not very well and you know it feels like a it feels like a thing you talk about and it you should be ashamed of it that you've had that in your family whereas actually like my mum and like it was, it was her mum um she's she's always been very open about it and like I think that's an important next step I think we're going mm -hmm. in the right direction but I think there's more to be done because you know I think of a lot of people I know who uh, say have bipolar or something that is like a mental illness rather than, you know, like uh, the next step beyond. And they feel like it's a stigma and they don't want to talk about it. They're worried about bringing it up in job interviews and all those extra bits. And I think we're, we're getting there, but it's still a long way off for that next step of it. Even saying, um, you know, like, well, I've got depression and anxiety. That feels so new that... I've never met you before. You've never met me, right? And the fact that you can go, oh, well, I've, I've got depression and anxiety. And I go, I've got OCD. And we talk about it. Like, this feels so fresh as a conversation to have. You know what I mean? Like, this feels, for me, this is the most I've ever talked about mental Ill health on anything. Like, I've, I talk about it a bit, but not really loads. And I think these kind of things are what we need to do. And also, obviously, um, you know, vote for a government that don't uh, defund every mental health service there is. That's probably quite important as well. Like, I'm not, I'm not telling people who to vote for. I'm just saying I think that's important. And if you've gone, well, I vote for the other people who do do that, then you know, you know who I'm talking about. But, you know, I think there's not enough to be done. And it's, it's as important, if not more important, than physical health. And I think when your mental health is bad, your physical health deteriorates with it and the other way around. So I think we need to look at it as 50-50 in the health service. Yeah, I, and I totally agree that these conversations are the thing to kick that off because I, yeah, I started to speak, speaking to my friends about this, what, last year? And that's the first time we're, we're having this How conversation. Old are you? You're, I'm 31, so pretty exactly, old. Exactly. Like, so you've, like, you've bottled that up for fuck knows how long at least a decade right these kind of struggles mm. whereas actually um when i was when i had ocd and i first started taking tablets for it so i was about 20 21 when i first went on to pills but I'd, I'd been experiencing it for three or four years by that point and i'd never talked about it and i remember going to the pub and people are like oh what have you done today i'm like oh i started taking these pills because i have ocd and that that sort of precipice that i had to step over of going i have a mental health problem felt huge and when all my friends just went all right okay well how are you feeling today and like we're like unfazed by it the relief i felt was probably greater than the help i'd got from the doctors
Thanks again for Matt for coming on the podcast and for being so open. It's always so refreshing to have guests like that. One thing that's really annoying is that the audio for some reason cut out very abruptly at the end. Matt was actually kind enough to record at his end too. But again, for some reason, that didn't seem to record at the other end. Oh, well, it's just one of those things, but it's just a little bit annoying because we didn't get to say bye. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please share with friends, family or anyone who you think it might help. If you're feeling particularly generous, you can even subscribe and download the rest of them. On a side note, I'm not a mental health professional, nor are any of my guests that come on my show. These podcasts are purely based on my own personal experiences and those of my guests, alongside some simple hints and tips along the way. If you're suffering from a mental illness, I've included a link to the podcast recordings notes to some of the amazing charities that will be able to help you by offering professional advice. I hope you have a lovely bank holiday and a great rest of the week and speak to you soon.